the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host. And today we have Angel Gambino on the podcast. I'm really excited to have her here. Over the past Over the last 20 years, Angel Gambino has been a servant leader in companies both big and small. She started her career as a public interest environmental lawyer before becoming a senior executive in large media and entertainment companies and a serial entrepreneur across four continents. She's been an active angel investor for the last two decades and hosts a community of angel investors and founders of early stage companies at Angel Club. Angel, welcome. And I'm just so glad to have you here. I'm always delighted just to talk to you in general, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, so just a good good excuse to catch up. I love it. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm going to start with the question that I normally do, but what was your first experience with cannabis? Sure. I think um, my first experience um, with cannabis was really when I was very, very young, um, because my dad, you know, would uh, smoke pot kind of openly in front of me, you know, so he'd have a joint when he was watching, like, you know, Sunday football. And so I I feel like in some ways that probably formed, you know, either unconsciously or, or later consciously some of my, you know, views towards uh, cannabis and he struggles with anxiety, and uh, unfortunately, he also has a pretty bad temper. <laughs> he's he's a Sicilian, but so I, I put that disclaimer out there. But <laughs> but you know he so he you know he told me from a very very young age, you know that uh, that when he smoked, he said it relaxed him. And he would say, like, and eh, it makes me a little bit silly. And and I could observe that in him. You know, I could observe that he observed that, you know, he was just more relaxed. He was more chilled out. And, and he was, uh, you know, a bit sillier. And as a young kid, I really appreciated that and thought it was funny. And um, so my first experience was really just kind of, you know, observing, you know, my dad and, and just, you know, seeing kind of how it influenced um, you know, uh, the way that he managed his anxiety. So I think, you know, that wasn't my first experience um, using cannabis for myself, but it was my, you know, first, the beginning of that relationship. And I was an athlete and I was a pretty serious athlete. I, I you know, I ended up um, playing in the English Premier League uh, as a soccer player and working with the U.S. Women's National Team at London 2012. And so, you know, sports and, and my physical body, you know, uh, and, and, and my kind of, you know, mental agility were, uh, were kind of core part of, of my identity and, and my focus. Because when I was younger, I wanted to get a soccer scholarship. And, you know, and at that stage, you know, in the late 80s, there were very, very few uh, sports, scholar- sports scholarships for, for women. They were, they were kind of really emerging and growing then, but there certainly were very few for women's soccer. Uh, soccer hadn't quite grown in popularity uh, like it is today. And so, so I, I didn't, you know, partake um, for a long time, even though, you know, I was around cannabis all, all the time and I loved the way that it smelled and I liked, you know, how it helped my dad. Um, it wasn't um, for me because I looked at it as, at that stage, I wasn't aware of, of different ways um, that I could uh, consume uh, cannabis. So it was really about the smoking aspect. So I viewed it very much um along the lines of, you know, I shouldn't smoke because I'm an athlete. And, you know, and I was young and didn't, didn't really know what my options were. And so I kind of aligned it with cigarettes at that stage. And I thought, okay, that's, that's not something I want to do because I need this like great lung capacity and, and all that kind of stuff. And so then it wasn't really, I think, until probably, I think it was my last year. Yeah, it was actually my last year of college. And after my last season, you know, we had just lost uh, the national title. We came number two in the country and we were done. And so 
so I was, well, I was a free bird, so to speak. And so, you know, so then, uh, then I just, you know, I would start talking with some other, you know, students and, and I just really enjoyed it. And, you know, all the benefits that I saw from my father, I experienced, you know, for myself, I was just, you know, more relaxed and in a great mood and, and just, you know, really enjoyed it, you know, recreationally at that stage. And so that was kind of, you know, the beginning of my journey, so to speak. It's, it's interesting what you're saying around, you know, the reasons why you didn't try it earlier, because when I've done interviews with other professionals that are also athletes, they've said very similar things. And now we're looking at especially with CBD to THC ratios, like how restorative it can be after working out or, you know, playing sports or even um, they're talking more about like football players and, um, and brain injuries and how CBD actually behaves as a neuroprotective to, to help fight against that too. And it's, you know, it's just, it's wonderful that we're learning more now, but, but of course we didn't have all the things available back then than we do now. I mean, geez, like 11 years ago in California, the products that were available just seem for the most part downright archaic outside of, you know, just the buds themselves, which I, I miss big, beautiful, fragrant buds. <laughs> I hope they come back yeah. someday, yeah. you know, yeah. but yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting yeah, thing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, there were, like, you know, we didn't have, well, first of all, you know, we didn't have access even to the, you know, basic stuff. But, you know, but beyond that, you know, we didn't have uh, all of the the different kinds of products that are available now. And, and, and also, we weren't as informed, as you say. So, you know, we didn't understand the, really, the basic differences between, you know, CBD and THC and you know, and, and how to get that kind of combination right and all, all the different kinds of benefits. Yeah, and I agree. I think there are, you know, there are athletes, you know, that I've worked with, like, you know, Megan Rapino and, and her partner, you know, who's a professional basketball player. They've got these, you know, big athletes who are now aligning themselves with, you know, with CBD brands and, you know, and because they see the benefits, you know, as athletes. So, yeah, it is interesting that, you know, that other you know, professionals and, and athletes kind of, you know, saw it the same. But, you know, at that time, those, those were, those were you know, the only options that, that we really knew about or that were, you know, readily accessible. But I'm just so relieved and, and grateful that we've got so many different options now. And there's still a lot to, to do in terms of educating consumers and, and politicians and, you know, and lots of other people. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the purpose of, uh, you know, one of the purposes, you know, of your podcast and one of the benefits and the value is that, you know, that people can now get so much access to high quality information and education around cannabis that they can make, you know, more informed choices, whether that's about, you know, personal consumption and lifestyle, you know, or it's about, you know, federal and, you know, state policies. Right, right. And I, I feel like, you know, sound, good education creates sound policy, because the one thing that I've noticed when I've gone to other states, and even in California, when we were looking at legalization, and I was one of the chairs of the task force for San Francisco, you know, I used to say, why are, why are we reinventing the wheel? Why aren't we looking at the mistakes that other states have made so we don't do those, and then glean from it yeah. what they've learned? And we we have policy that in many ways is based on state culture, which is really strong. I've learned as I've done a lot of traveling in the past few years and stigma. Like even when we were I was um, at the Americans for Safe Access meeting the other night and we were starting to dig into the Moore Act. And it's really interesting some of the language that they even have in there where I just pointed out that's like that's some stigma filled language. Like For example, we're looking at you know, federal taxation on product, and they have in the Moore Act that if the product is stolen, that if it can't be proven beyond a doubt that it wasn't the fault of the owner or the staff of the owner, that they will be held responsible for the taxes on the lost product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
We don't do that well, in other industries. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And, yeah, I just feel like there's still, yeah, still a lot of misunderstanding and, and also just bias, just, you know, like, culturally, we have to, like, unwind all this BS we've been, you know, pumping out, you know, for, for decades. So, uh, and it's, it's hard for people to kind of unlearn cultural indoctrination around, you know, this topic and others. So, you know, I, I do think we have a fair bit of work to do. And, you know, and, and even in the policies and the way that, you know, that you can operate, you know, basic, you know, delivery companies, you know, I'm an investor in ease. And when I look operationally at how these businesses have to operate from a regulatory standpoint, there are so many additional layers of, of what I believe to be unnecessary friction and cost built into these, you know, business models based on, you know, these kind of overarching principles and policies that when you look at, look at it from, you know, a pure business standpoint, just don't make sense. And so, you know, and, and, and then you have to look at, okay, what are the real benefits to society and having some of these like draconian restrictive aspects of doing business? And you think, you know, I just don't believe that the upside or the benefits to forcing lots of these different, you know, cannabis companies to operate radically different than, you know, than even, you know, alcohol companies, and uh, which are arguably, you know, more destructive. So, and, and, that, and that's another highly regulated industry. And so I'm not suggesting that it shouldn't be regulated. But I do think that, you know, we need business to thrive, you know, especially now as we're coming out of the pandemic. You know, we need to support, you know, small business owners, we need to support entrepreneurs who are trying to grow these companies. And so I think as much as we can, we should allow them to, you know, to operate as freely as, as other companies unless there are some specific aspects, you know, to the product or the business, you know, that, that need to have those kind of higher levels of, you know, of regulation and, you know, and that's, that's absolutely, you know, acceptable. Right, right. And then when you're looking at it from a social justice perspective, I mean, you know, I'm going to tell you something that you already know. <laughs> but I mean, mm-hmm. you know, with the mass incarcerate, incarcerations of black and brown people and where these yeah. these draconian laws that they're putting together is just making the legacy market even larger. And so we're not giving people a chance to actually pivot and have legitimate businesses and these are entrepreneurs yeah 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 no exactly and you know i think that you know some some of them are you know have been successful because they're just like good hustlers and and you know every entrepreneur needs to be you know a good hustler um you know at least uh, especially during you know the early stages and you know and some of them will find this migration into uh, the, you know, a kind of legalized uh, regulatory framework more challenging for a lot of different reasons. You know, they're not, for example, if you want to create a, you know, a very successful big cannabis company, you know, you're, you're going through a lot of the, you know, fundraising that, you know, that you would in, you know, not the same, but very similar to, you know, tech ventures. And a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs that have been operating, you know, under wraps, you know, they don't have those skill sets, that experience, those networks that are going to be really important for building the big companies. So they're going to get shut out. So, you know, so I think, um, you know, from an equity standpoint and uh, racial justice, I really think we need to look at ways that we can, you know, support investment into these communities and these entrepreneurs um, so that they've got a fighting shot at, at building these next, you know, billion dollar plus companies. Because, 
you know, they know their stuff inside and out. It's just a whole different way of going about, you know, um, growing business. And so, um, so yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited that there are companies like Vertosa, which is, you know, another one that I've invested in, you know, they're really proactively seeking out ways that they can support diverse founders who've been operating in this space and are now, you know, creating, you know, these legit businesses and looking at ways to scale. So for me, you know, when I'm looking at investment opportunities in cannabis, I am actively looking for female founders. I am looking for, you know, people of color. I'm looking for neurodiverse. I'm looking for people who come from, you know, lower socioeconomic status and who've really kind of been, you know, doing that hustle. Um, and now they want to, you know, they want to be legit and they want to create something big and meaningful. And so, you know, those, those are a lot of the, you know, investors, you know, that, that I'm looking for. I'm looking for the diverse founders who want to build, you know, something big. And I think that we as a, as a community and the market more generally, you know, needs to really consider like how we support, you know, these uh, diverse founders. And, and then obviously, you know, anyone who's in jail <laughs> for, you know, for these, uh, what were offenses, you know, we, we need to correct that. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And actually touching on the investment portion, you are one of the top female angel investors in the United States. And how did you, how did you decide to start getting involved professionally with cannabis? Um, that's a good, you know what, I, I, uh, in my venture studio, uh, Alchemist Collective, um, we had a partnership with, uh, Radical Insights, um, which is part of our portfolio at, um, uh, Prehype, which is a venture studio where I'm a partner and our venture studio creates, you know, new, um, businesses in partnership with large corporations. Sorry about that. And, uh, so one of the things that we were working on with a large uh, beverage company was scanning the market uh, for cannabis companies that were building new businesses and inventing new products in the beverages space. So functional beverages so when uh, are just you know, they're everywhere now. You see them everywhere now, right? Like you can get water with collagen in it, water with protein in it. You can get, you know, just about any kind of, you know, beverage with something else that, that, that provides additional benefits. And so functional beverages have been growing like crazy. And uh, so they were looking at CBD and THC uh, investment and acquisition opportunities. So, you know, so we really got to see what was going on across all of the markets. So, you know, in Canada and the U.S., elsewhere, um, in terms of, you know, what people were kind of really focusing in on. And so for me, I started to really get excited about uh, cannabis-infused beverages and uh, and I would actually, right, so before that, what I should say, that was not, like, that's, that was the moment that I got super excited. Before that, um, I had come in at an early round in Ease, and, uh, and I liked Ease because uh, I liked the brand. Uh, I thought there, uh, some of the other people that were coming into that round I trusted as, you know, as high-quality investors. Um, I came in with, uh, with a firm that I do investments with called FJ Labs uh, out of New York. They really, really know um, and excel in marketplaces, some, some other models as well um, in other sectors, but they really, really take a leadership position in marketplaces. And, you know, and they are, are very rigorous in their due diligence. And so I, I valued that kind of endorsement. And so I got excited about um, about delivery first initially, but it was like partly the team and it was the brand and it was the market opportunity and, 
you know, California as a market alone was, you know, worthy of an investment, you know, even if they didn't expand into other states, you know, it was still such a huge market. So, so I originally got excited uh, about uh, investing in ease just because I saw this enormous opportunity. I was still pretty green, excuse the pun, <laughs> um, <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, investing in, in cannabis. Um, but that one seemed like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, they weren't, you know, cultivating, they weren't, you know, manufacturing, they weren't producing. So I thought, it was on the lesser end of friction point, so to speak, in, in terms of, you know, business models and regulation and, and whatnot. I've learned a lot since then. Um, and I'm still glad I started there because I learned a lot as an investor about, you know, cannabis businesses. And then later, um, I uh, was with a friend, um, who was looking at creating a new venture fund around all of the different types of sectors and businesses that would typically fall within what what's deemed as a morality clause of most venture capital firms. So most VCs will have something called a morality clause, and so it means that they can't invest in certain things. And, and oftentimes that will be things like you know gambling or porn or or things like cannabis. And, you know, there are other things that are covered in that, that morality clause. But um, so that left a, a big, you know, opportunity um, for investment into areas that, you know, that they weren't going to touch. You know, some of them won't even touch, like, you know, sex toys and, and things like that. So um, so when she was doing that, you know, she uh, introduced me to Ben Larson at a party at her house in San Francisco and, you know, she said, you know, this is definitely, you know, one of the teams we would want to back. And, you know, I had, uh, they, they had some of their, you know, their product there, which is basically, you know, odorless, uh, tasteless, colorless, you know, emulsion, um, THC infusion, you know. And so they were making cocktails with no alcohol. And, you know, and just like, you know, a couple uh, uh, drops of, of this, you know, Vertosa. And so, you know, I had this drink, which, you know, tasted like a, you know, a great um, mojito, um, but, you know, less sugar, you know, no alcohol, um, which sounded great for my waistline at the time. <laughs> and so it, it tasted great, but then I just, you know, I could feel the hit like within the first, like, maybe 15 seconds and it was just like really nice and you know they were teaching me about it and so I got to try the product right then and and I feel like as an investor you can invest purely you know on you know the team and the market opportunity and 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 traction that they're getting in the market but you know but for me being able to actually experience the product that just absolutely won me over. And so that in combination with having done this major, major research study, um, you know, several hundred page report at the end of it um, with this big beverage company, I was just like, I'm, I'm all in, I'm all in. <laughs> I just see the opportunity everywhere. So, yeah, so that's, I think the combination of those two things just got me very, you know, bullish overall, even though there was a lot of, exuberance in the market and it was clear that there were some players in the market that were just very opportunistic. There were some that just didn't have experience in CPG or, or, you know, or industries related to cannabis that would help them have that kind of unfair advantage that you like to see in entrepreneurs based on their, you know, personal or professional experience. So, so it was clear that there was going to be some kind of, you know, shakeout in terms of the overall market. But it was also clear there were going to be some big winners, and and I thought I could take a big swing and and bet on some of those. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were right on it because when beverages came out into the market, it was really interesting to see some of the industry veterans poo-poo it, and they're like, "Who's going to drink that? You know, who's going to yeah. do these low dosages?" And and you yeah. know, it was it was amazing. People love beverages, and and especially yeah. now because. Beverages 11 years ago in the cannabis industry were disgusting. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. 
But now, yes, I agree. Yeah, with the emulsification that they do, yeah. and just uh, the the pure. Like I always tell people, is there a favorite beverage that you have? Chances are, you can find it infused. Um, yeah, and being that, you, yeah, I think. Oh no, what were you going to say? Sorry. <laughs> you first. Yeah. Well, I think you know. So this, like the water soluble stuff that you know that Vertos is doing, I think. Um, you know, now you can actually just, like, taste the drink rather than, you know, I think a lot of times it was like, you know, you could really, really taste, you know, the cannabis, and then you were trying to, you know, put that cannabis taste into a taste that was supposed to taste like something else, and then you're combining it together, and it's just not a good mix, you know? And so, you know, with it being water-soluble, it just means that it gives you so many more options and, and because it's tasteless, you're tasting, you know, the drink, you know. And so so I think, uh, yeah, I think that there were a lot of, you know, doubters, so to speak. And there probably, you know, still are. But, you know, I'll tell you what, like, I've, you know, I've always got my, you know, Lagunitas, like, hi-fi in my fridge. I've always got my can in my fridge. Like, they're in there all the time. And then I'm constantly trying, you know, lots of lots of other products and and I don't think people like what I was saying to people at the time when they were like oh what you know (laughs) is you know is that millennials are not drinking like prior generations and you know so they're drinking substantially less alcohol I'm talking about and and then you know they're predicting that you know that the younger generations you know, are, are going to be drinking substantially less than them. So, so what you're talking about is a massive, massive reduction in alcohol consumption, but consumers still like, you know, they want a kind of social lubricant, so to speak. They still kind of want like a little, you know, sass to their, you know, evening or whatever, or, or, you know, or their Sunday. And, um, and the thing is like, you know, there, there are companies like free spirits, uh, which was founded by uh, a friend of mine, Nita, um, who's based in New York. And, and they, they use botanicals, you know, to give you that kind of uplifting feeling or that mellowing feeling that, you know, that you can get from CBD. And so they're not using, you know, CBD or THC. They're using other botanicals. But that's a huge growing category as well, which is, you know, further validates that people want something that, you know, that just kind of complements or influences the, the kind of vibe that they want for the day or the evening. Um, and yet they don't want alcohol where, you know, it, it has lots of, you know, negative attributes to it. So, so I just think, you know, I've thought from, you know, from the research that we did, the combination of shifts um, that are happening, you know, the lower consumption of alcohol the increase of, you know, functional beverages, um, you know, and the, you know, the legalization of cannabis, I just thought it was a perfect storm for, for innovation in beverages. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and can, you mentioned them earlier, that was, it was a really interesting study on how things can explode. Like they're, in a very short time, I mean, they were one of the ones that were very notable for having, a large celebrity investment even. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So with them, so I was one of their, like, early adopters. I loved the packaging. I loved the branding. You know, lemon and lavender, for me, just tastes like, like the best, like, gin and tonic. Um, and, you know, with, without all the bad stuff, you know, you can have one. And, you do, like, I don't even know, like, I barely notice it, but I'm a little bit more mellow. And I, I have two of them. I'm just like, I'm really easy. And so, uh, I've, yeah, I love their products from kind of early on. I do have a code. It's, I think it's angel 20 or something. I don't know. I'll have to get it to you, but, um, and people can get a 20% off, uh, on all can products. But, um, so I've been an ambassador for a long time, but, uh, I think, you know, they did a lot of things right in that they created something that just tasted great. And, the packaging and the branding and, you know, uh, you know, uh, I know the chief revenue officer over there and, you know, she had this incredible background and met the founders, you know, at, at Burning Man and then they kind of courted her and, you know, and, and eventually she joined them. So they were looking at 
you know, building a world-class team right from the get-go. And, and yeah, and I think, you know, securing investment from investors like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow and others, you know, just really helped give them that bump in terms of, you know, brand awareness and, uh, you know, and that helped uh, consumers have that, like, willingness to try. They also did um, what I think a lot of effective cannabis companies do and they would have like a lot of, you know, try before you buy. So like, you know, experiential stuff where you could like, you know, try the product because there's still a lot of people who are, you know, hesitant or nervous because, you know, maybe they had a bad edible experience. And so they're a little worried about, you know, drinking a can of something, you know, even when it's really, really, you know, low, uh, low dosages. But so, yeah, I, I think they've, They've had a great run, and I'm excited to, to see where they take the business. Yeah, yeah. All you need is one bad experience to, <laughs> to make you wary. <laughs> yeah. But that's also where education comes in, where we actually get people to think about what's your milligram amount, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it fluctuates, right? Like, you know this better than I do, and, you know, I – I am grateful to you because, you know, when I have questions, you know, like you're my go-to, you know, and, oh, thanks. and I think, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that, you know, so many different things like, you know, affect it, right? Like where you're at, like as a woman, where you're at in your cycle, like, you know, how much, like, what did you eat or drink that day? How hydrated are you? Like there's so many different, you know, factors. So, so I do think that, you know, but you should, you should know, like, or you should figure out what your kind of range is, you know? And so, you know, so I just, you know, I, I'm, you know, I can have like with the, with Hi-Fi, you know, Lagunitas, I can have like a couple of their, you know, uh, 10 THC and, you know, and I'm good, I'm good, but there are some people, you know, I'll give that, they'll share a five, and I think there are five, is five to five CBD, THC. Yep. And I'll give that to some people, and, you know, like half, half of a bottle, and they're like, whoa, 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 okay, I'm good, I'm good, you know? <laughs> so so every, everybody's different, everybody's different, but, you know, I went to law school in Oregon, and Let's just say I, I refined my <laughs> consumption there. And I remember coming back to, I was at someone's house in Berkeley, and they're like, are, and they said, you know, we were smoking. And I said, are you from Oregon? And I said, oh, my God. I said, well, I consider, uh, like, why would you guess Oregon? Like, of all places, why do you think I'm from Oregon? And I said, I consider it my spiritual home. You know, I went to law school there, but, um, but now I'm not from Oregon. And he's like, well, you just smoke like you're from Oregon. And I think that was like a badge of pride. I was totally. Like, like, I don't know. I know. And I was like, I'm San Francisco. And he's like, I don't know any women who can smoke like you. And I was like, yes. I like, I was proud of that. Uh, <laughs> yet another reason like, I love totally, you. He like, yeah, right. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. He's like, you're totally cogent. We're having these really deep intellectual conversations. He's like, and then we're having just like, you know, normal conversations. He's like, you're right there with me. I'm like, yeah, because I know like my constitution and, and you know, I'm, and I'm good. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is interesting, you know, with our, our personal body chemistry. When I, when I teach my class on women and cannabis and I start talking about estrogen and cycles, I always see in the chat like, some of the older ladies that are in class are like, this doesn't apply to me. And I'm like, listen, sister, don't give up. Just because you've gone through menopause does not mean that all the estrogen has left your body. You still peak and flow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just learning about all that now. Like, you know, because I'm at an age where I have to learn about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me too, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So who knows? Like it might, you know, it might change, but but maybe not. I don't know. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's partly mindset too, you know. It is. It definitely is, and it's also you know just being really aware of what you're using because I remember when I first started working in the dispensary, that was when dabbing was first popular. And, um, yeah. you know, and that was like, that blew my mind. But then I started getting into it because I wanted to understand, you know, the different forms of concentrates and that just jacked up my tolerance. So I, I once in a great while yeah. I'll have a tasty dab, but I don't like 
I don't like going through the world smoking my joints like cigarettes, like where I can just go through a couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yep, for sure. You know, my lungs sure. can't hack it. But <laughs> <laughs> when you're... I agree. Yeah, you, no, I'm same. I'm same. Yeah, you know, and it's it's, I definitely, you know, I love nerding out on the different ways of being able to use them and smell them and everything but that's one thing that I always tell people I'm like you know just be aware of variation and dosage and and you'll be in good shape it's it's a wonderful way to actually be accountable for what's going on in your body because we I mean well yeah before we got on this we were both talking about how we're rushing from moment to moment and it really it can be very ungrounding because you sometimes lose touch with, you know, the cause and effect of what you're putting in your body or what you're going through and why your body is, you know, acting funny. And yep. cannabis yeah, is a, sure. a way for grounding and mindfulness. Um, I was going to ask you too, because you have, you know, you've, you've seen a lot of products, you've invested in a lot of companies. What are, what are some of your favorite products right now that are just really intriguing to you? Oh, good question. I think I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's intriguing, but like some of my some of my favorite products are are just some of the best sellers, mm-hmm. and I think you know there are reasons that they're best sellers. So like you know I love the Hi-Fi. Uh, Lagunitas, and I love can, and I love, and those obviously in beverages. So I also love, uh, is it Terra that does? It's Terra, right? That does the uh, chocolate-covered espresso beans and the chocolate-covered blueberry. Is that Terra? Yeah, that's Terabytes, and that's that's under yeah. Kiva's umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I love, love, love those products. And I just think they're great because, you know, you can throw them in your purse and you can, you know, go out, you know, wherever you are and they taste great and you can just, you know, have one or more. I usually have five. <laughs> and uh, I know my friends are always like, how can you do that? But um, And so so I like that. I like the container because so many of the cannabis products, like that's one area of, I think, innovation. Like I understand why a lot of the cannabis companies need to kind of child-proof, you know, a lot of the packaging, which I think is important. But, you know, when you're shown you can't get into the packaging, it's a problem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there needs to be some happy medium. So I think packaging needs to improve or there's areas for innovation in packaging. But um, but I really love those. I love some of the um, Silk Road um, pre-rolls. They're... Yeah, they're, I'm trying to think of, like, I would say during pandemic, those have been some of my, like, you know, go-to products, but I'm looking forward to all sorts of different products from, like, you know, infused honey to, you know, to all sorts of different kinds of, you know, infused products. Oh, I really love, and you introduced me to, uh, Mellows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, that's such a great product. You know, I'm uh, uh, diabetic. I had uh, just gestational diabetes, and unfortunately, it kind of hit me. So, uh, so I don't have too many of them because so many of the edible products are sugar-based. So I do think that that you know, there's a whole lot of us who are looking for edible products, and and they exist. But I think that there's more room for growth for edible products that aren't sugary, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that's also true in beverages as well. So I don't want the, you know, the sugar. I want, I do want it to taste good and I don't want it to have a lot of other crap in it. I want it to be as clean as possible. And so I do think that there's, you know, I'm starting to see more of it, but, but I do think that that's a whole area that's right for growth because if you're somebody who's really into fitness or, or your figure or your overall health or, or you've got special concerns, you know, like, you know, diabetes or, or other conditions where you need to keep your your carbs or your, you know, sugars low, 
then we need to be a bit more creative about, you know, some of the edibles. But, you know, you can you can dab, you can, you know, you can use tinctures, you know, but it would be nice to see more edibles that are that are healthier overall, you know, rather than some of the ones that I really love because <laughs> <laughs> um, they're so chocolatey and yummy. Um, yeah, I think I think there's some opportunity uh, for creative entrepreneurs in, in that category. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, one that I really like um, are the level tablets. I like the sublinguals, especially. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, and the CBG actually really helps me focus. Yeah, yeah. Because you know what. Hmm. That reminds me, I haven't like I haven't had any recently, but at the beginning of the uh, pandemic, I was using siblings a lot, and 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 I agree, I was having a similar a similar effect. So I need to I need to dive back in there. I, I haven't done it for a while. Yeah, it it really calms my mind. It's because when I'm busy during the day, and if I get a little overwhelmed, all of a sudden I get like a deer caught in the headlights. Yeah, <laughs> and CBG well, just brings me in my body. <laughs> what are you gonna say? Totally. No, I was just going to say, like, I, you know, I, I was telling you, you know, before that, you know, re- recently it just felt very frenetic. And, and I was, you know, talking to a friend and, and it's not, not quite overwhelmed, but borderline overwhelmed with just like calls and emails and transitioning into, quote unquote, you know, normal life after having been vaccinated and, you know, all just like, you know, and I'm a single mom and I'm an entrepreneur and I'm an investor and like, you know, just juggling all this stuff. And so for me, if I want to be at my best, you know, if I can, uh, if I can, you know, use a sublingual or, and, and get the dosage right, then what it does is it allows me, you know, allows me to kind of calm myself and to really focus in on, okay, these are the top three things that matter today. Everything else may or may not get done, but it's not in the top three, so I'm not going to worry about it. And so, and that's incredibly liberating, and I think it really contributes to, you know, overall wellness. And so, you know, so those are, I, I think, you know, when you can get it right like that, it's just, it's so helpful. You know, when I was living in Michigan, all these moms who, well, a lot of them just wanted to lose weight, but a lot of them were like always frazzled. And so a lot of them were starting to take Adderall and they didn't need Adderall. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, a lot of them were doing it because they were like, I just feel constantly like in, like in a fog, overwhelmed. I can't get the focus that I need. And so, you know, so some of them, you know, I, you know, turned on to, you know, to uh, CBD as, as an option. And, and obviously, and you, you can speak to it more than I can, but, you know, the right combination of THC and uh, CBD. And, you know, and they all said, like, oh, my God, this is a game changer. And, of course, they wouldn't, they wouldn't tell anyone. It was funny. They, they were happy to tell people, like, yeah, I got a, like, a prescription for Adderall, like, you know, on the black market. They, they were happy to talk about that, but they were not happy to talk about, you know, the CBD, THC, which is legal. Um, so it was, it was just kind of funny, but, um, but it got them off of these like nastier, you know, pharmaceuticals and, you know, and gave them a much, you know, better effect. And in addition to the focus, they had a sense of calm, which you, you know, allegedly don't get with, uh, Adderall. I don't know. It's not something I take. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I took Adderall for a very short period uh, when I started working again after chemo because, I had I had chemo brain still, so my doctor was like, "Well, let's give you some Adderall," and yeah. it, I was like at work grinding my teeth. I was like, "How does anyone want to do this?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was super unpleasant. Yeah. But you know, when you're when you're saying this and the impact it has on people and their productivity, it brings to mind too. Like, I've been this year. I'm working with colleagues to really start looking at, you know, not, we've talked about, you know, education helps create good sound policy, but another thing that does is pressure from the public and the perception yeah. of policymakers of people who use cannabis is still incredibly skewed. So I, I always tell people like, well, I'm not in the dispensary anymore, but 
when people would come in and they'd be upset about the prices or the packaging and they'd be like, it's you, it's, it's the companies that create these products. It's like, no, this, these are, we would really like to not have to do any of this and charge you as much as we have to. It's taxation. It's, you know, rules around packaging. And this is where the onus is on the public. And that's when I tell them, I'm like, this, your policymakers need to hear from you because you hold their jobs in, in your hands. So yeah. it's it's a call to action for the public to say, you know, I'm a productive member of society. I'm professional. I pay my taxes. I use cannabis and I vote. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I actually think, you know, the taxation is, is actually helping with legalization, right? Where all these, you know, counties and states, you know, have been, you know, struggling um, or just need to find, you know, new sources of, uh, of income to, you know, support aging populations and improvement in schools and all that. You know, they need other sources of taxes. But, um, but at the same time, some of them are, are so ridiculously high that it's, you know, that it's cost prohibitive from a lot of people who would really, you know, benefit from cannabis products. Right. Yeah. Taxation is essential because we need that to be able to support our communities. But when you're looking at certain cities where if you tally up the tax, it can be more than 40%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got yep. to sit yeah. down and have a talk about that. Totally. And that's, you know, that's kind of going back to some of those, you know, I, I was focusing more on the kind of friction points of regulation in terms of, you know, business, but the taxation element is, is critical as well. So I think it, it makes sense to have higher tax rates, you know, for cannabis related, you know, business and, and products, but you can't, you can't kill a market that you're, you're, you know, trying to create, you know, you're killing it before, you know, there's even a market. So, you know, so we need to do, as you know, so many different markets, when you're creating a new market, they get entirely subsidized, you know, um, and they're not paying any, I mean, Amazon's not paying any taxes at all, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, or at least not, you know, in the way that, you know, that some of these other are, and you can say it's because, you know, they're producing, you know, so many jobs and contributing to the economy and all that kind of stuff. Well, you, you know, you have to look at these new markets as, you know, what are the most tax efficient ways for investment uh, to occur and for entrepreneurship to occur, because that's the way you create, you know, new markets. So if we, if we tax, you know, them so heavily, then you, you know, minimize demand and you from consumers. And then you're also, you know, making it cost prohibitive for, you know, these businesses to survive. And, right. and it, and it mis, you know, uh, educates or, you know, or, or at least, you know, misinforms, you know, consumers around the products as well, because you're right. Like they don't necessarily understand, you know, the, the kind of cost breakdown, you know, it's not, they don't see it. Like when they go into a restaurant they can see the tax separated out, you know, <laughs> So when they're, you know, looking at the product, they're just looking at, you know, the overall expense. So, yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a lot of of lobbying and, and pressure that we can apply to have, you know, sensible taxation for sure. And when we're talking about these companies and, you know, a lot of a lot of companies in order to stay afloat, they don't, you know, they'll go to, you know, friends and family to raise money just because it is difficult to do the fundraising. But if someone were looking to embark on fundraising for their company, what are some key tips that you would give them? Yeah. So I would say, you know, have a, have a rock star team that has what I call unfair advantage and rock star team. Isn't just like you and your co-founder or, you know, you and, you know, some contractors that are work for, working for you or employees that are working for you, those are definitely part of the team. And, you know, the more uh, skilled and competent they are, the better. But it also includes your advisors and it includes other investors. And so, you know, primarily at early stage investing, what makes something backable or fundable, you know, is the team and, and also the market opportunity. Um, but the team, you're looking at, like, you know, do, do they have particular insights or experience or personal and professional stories 
that makes you, you know, confident that that this team can create, you know, what we call a competitive moat, that they can, you know, they have unique access to networks or people or, or, or an understanding of the sector so that they will be able to grow this business better than anybody else. So really make sure that that team you're pulling together, and again, that includes your advisors and, and other investors, you know, what you're essentially trying to do is de-risk the investment for the investor. Just like really nailing your pitch. So having a great pitch deck that tells your story in a really compelling and engaging way. It's really concise, clearly demonstrates your why in, you know, starting this business and why you're going to win. And, but not selling either, you know, it's like, you know, people think, you know, when you're pitching, you're selling, you're really not uh, like, you know, you want to get to an outcome, but the outcome, you know, in those initial pitches is really about building a relationship, you know, make them want more, make it believable. So, you know, a lot of times if you're selling, you can oversell. So, you know, so I think having a really strong pitch deck, nailing your pitch, you know, in Angel Club. We do pitch practice every week so that people can really with investors so that you can really, really nail your pitch. Um, and then also, you know, starting to build relationships with investors well before you ever want to pitch for money. Because, you, you know, if, if you go to investors and you ask their advice or for their input and say, hey, I'm not raising right now, you know, but I am at X stage of, you know, of building, you know, my business, I would love to hear your perspective on X. Most investors, you know, want to be helpful. So, you know, you know that you can do cold outreach. You know, you want to have a really uh, succinct but catchy and not clickbaity um, subject line. You want to have a really concise, highly personalized email. Like, why should that investor be interested in your business and in you? Um, and you know, and and you can do those kind of cold outreaches. And I have cold outreach templates that, that, you know, entrepreneurs can customize and personalize to, to kind of nail those cold outreaches. But if you're building relationships well in advance of the time that you need uh, the money, then, you know, it's a lot easier to say like, hey, I've been keeping you up to date with my progress. Now I'm actually entering fundraising, you know, would love to have a call with you about, you know, my plans for the business. It's a lot easier than, you know, than stranger danger that, you know, that some people experience, you know, when they, when they don't know who they're talking to. So, and you can do that. You can build those relationships by researching online. Like we have a massive investor database in Angel Club, but you can also find them, you know, other places like NFX Signal and, and, uh, and other places where there's an investor list and databases. And then you go through there and see what they're investing in. Some of them are very public about what they're investing in, but, you know, a lot of the databases will show what they invest in. So if they've invested in other, you know, cannabis businesses, you know, or, you know, psychedelics or, or other regulated industries, then, you know, as long as you're not, your business isn't directly competitive to, you know, to what they've already invested in, then, you know, then they could be a good investor for you. You have to check sector, stage, geography, average check size, you know, but you're going to create an ideal investor profile, and then you're going to do your research to see who fits that profile. And then, you know, just start engaging with them on social media. Start, you know, uh, be of value to them, like share articles and insights when they're posting on certain topics. And, you know, and just start, it's a human relationship. So, you know, so I think, you know, you get all those things, you know, well and build a really damn good business, <laughs> then, you know, your chances are, are pretty good. Well, and you were mentioning Angel Club. I You talk more about that because you've been doing a lot of mentoring and support and coaching with people this past year, haven't you? Oh, yeah, a whole lot. Yeah, when, uh, when, you know, when Black Lives Matters was really, really kind of, you know, kicking off, I sat back and I thought, you know, I'm from Detroit, you know, it's an 87%, you know, black community. Um, what else can I do besides not be an asshole, you know, to, to support my community? And so... Uh, so I thought like, okay, what else can I do? And so I decided to start these open office hours and, and, and so I did that and these open office hours were really just to help, 
you know, uh, people of color, black entrepreneurs, you know, build their businesses and get the backing they need to grow their businesses. So, you know, so I started to do that and then it kind of grew much bigger. So I started to do clubhouse sessions, like, um, and just, it's like a fundraising Q and a, and then that's open to, you know, anyone and everyone. Although, you know, I do focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion in terms of how I curate the moderators, I curate, uh, the questions, uh, and also how I, you know, make my investments. So, um, you know, on Monday I had 1,700 people, you know, that I mentored in a room on Clubhouse, and I do that room every Monday, and then I have other people who do that room on other days so that, you know, that mentorship can happen at scale. And then in Angel Club, so that's in Angel Club and Clubhouse, and then angelclub.com, I do that on a weekly basis on Fridays at 10 a.m. And then I have, and that's for like, you know, pitch practice. We do master classes. Um, like, you know, we're doing one on startup law 101. You know, there's loads of different kinds of master classes, personal branding. Um, and then uh, for, we have a monthly group um, call. And a lot of times the group calls are really great because people will ask questions that, you know, you hadn't thought of asking, but they're answers that you need to know. So, yeah, so I've been doing a whole lot of that mentorship, and now I'm finding ways to do it, you know, in a more scalable way since I can't do, you know, loads of one-to-ones. I do do some one-to-ones, but, uh, but yeah, I do that all through Angel Club, which is at angelclub.com. That's awesome. And you have a podcast, too. Yes. And, uh, and we call them riffs because it's like, it's kind of like, you know, what we're doing, we're like, we're riffing, right? Yeah. And so it was so funny because, you know, my family in Italy, they're like riffs, like, like a guitar. And I'm like, yeah, kind of, but with like voice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, uh, they're like, we don't know this term, but, um, yeah. And so, you know, I've interviewed all, you know, sorts of different people in, you know, business areas that, uh, you know, that I am excited by and that I think others, you know, will be inspired by. And so, you know, it's from authors to, uh, to you know, serial founders to investors, you know, thought leaders of, of different kinds. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I do those on video. Some um, are audio only. And then I do, you know, transcripts for, for those um, who have any kind of impairments. That's awesome. I mean, it's 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 amazing how efficiently you're able to spread your information and be able to touch people in so many different ways. And I'm I'm really surprised that <laughs> you're not totally going crazy because that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work and dedication. It is a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. And yeah, thanks to CBD and THC on that kind and and meditation and 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 the hike. <laughs> I'm not going crazy, but. But more more likely it has to do with the fact that, you know, I've got, I do have a really great team. Uh, and so, you know, they're able to, you know, I'm, I'm super, you know, creative and highly ambitious in terms of what I like to put out in the world. I want to make my time here count. And so they, you know, they're great about creating, you know, systems and, and you know, and helping me, you know, keep this kind of production machine going. So it's, it's not... You know, I'm out there in the front, but there's there's some great people, you know, with me to to make it all happen. That's awesome. And I have one last question for you because we went through our time so quickly. I can't believe it. But yeah, and it's eleven eleven, so it's a good it's a good time. To, yeah, very uh, auspicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you see in the future with cannabis? Like we, you you see trends, you see how industries grow, and with everything that you've seen in the past few years, what what's your hypothesis? Yeah, so I think um, I think it's going to become a lot more professionalized and what you know what I mean by that is um, I think you're going to see a lot more of the bigger more traditional players whether those are individuals or big corporates you know really start to kind of permeate the market I also think that more of the fintech solutions um, uh, and kind of CRM point of sale solutions will 
uh, will both consolidate and become better and bigger, you know, because the banking aspect is, is still a problem given, you know, there's no uh, federal legislation. I do think that, I don't know if that's going to change in the next few years, uh, but it's definitely going to change. But until then, we need some better technology um, to make these businesses, you know, more efficient because they face all these, you know, different issues like we talked about in terms of taxation, et cetera. Um, I think that we're going to see uh, a lot more um, people enter the workforce in cannabis industries. And so, you know, so there's such high turnover in certain, you know, sectors within uh, cannabis. I think that, you know, as people kind of get skilled up, uh, and it's already happening, you know, we'll just start to see a more kind of professional um, employment workforce, um, which will make a lot of these businesses operate more smoothly. So so on the one hand, it sounds boring. I think we're going to see more efficiency and, you know, and consolidation and professionalism. Um, but, uh, and, and I do also get concerned of like, you know, companies like Monsanto and, and others, you know, getting, getting into the sector and, and, and the kind of influence that they might have. But, you know, but I think some of that is inevitable. So we need to really figure out the best way to, to manage that. But um, I think we're just going to continue to see lots and lots and lots of product innovation and products of all different kinds. I think culturally it's going, we're going to see a lot more uh, mainstreaming, um, we might even see more regulation in terms of open smoking, um, you know, because there, there are lots of people who, you know, complain about, you know, the smell and things like that in, in places where, you know, where it is legal. But I think we'll continue, uh, continue to see, you know, uh, legalization uh, roll out, um, you know, across, across the states and, and counties. And hopefully some improvements in terms of, you know, overall um, policy, whether that, you know, has to do with racial justice in terms of those who are incarcerated and or, um, you know, the way that we're um, enabling, you know, licensing, for example. There are some, you know, states and, and counties that are looking at, you know, who, who get um, licenses to operate and they're looking at that with, you know, uh, racial equity, you know, in mind. Um, and so I think I, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to take a, you know, conscious capitalism, uh, approach to cannabis and, uh, and that we're, we're going to create an industry that has some healthy aspects to growing, you know, a new market. And so, and I see some of that happening. I also see some bad examples, but you know, but I tend to be more positive. So, so I'm hoping that, that the good people will speak more loudly and, and act, you know, more vigorously for creating, you know, the type of industry that we think, you know, will be most helpful to, to society. Yeah, I think we have a unique opportunity to change the way we do business and have it just like how tech influenced the way we did business outside of even the tech industry that cannabis can do that, especially around you know, compassionate capitalism because we can have abundance and be able to take care of our communities and have things be accessible. Um, yeah. If people want to reach out to you, uh, how would they reach out to you through websites, social media, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So my personal website is at angelgambino.com, A-N-G-E-L-G-A-M-B-I-N-O.com. And uh, an email address that I give out publicly is info at angelgambino.com. I do check it every day, and, and my team also helps me manage it. Um, my Twitter, where I'm very active, is at Gambino. And I get every tweet about Childish Gambino you could ever imagine. They think it's his handle. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my son's favorite artist, so I don't mind, you know. <laughs> But uh, my Instagram is just at Angel Gambino and Clubhouse is at Angel Gambino. So I'm most active on uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Clubhouse, and, and via you know my, my website. And then people can also reach me at uh, angelclub.com. Awesome. And for our listeners out there who want to follow Planted with Sarah Pion, we are uh, www.plantedwithsarah.com. 
on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We are Planted with Sarah. And you can listen to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, you can find Planted. Angel, thank you so very much for being here today. It's it's always a treat to be able to talk to you, and I miss you because we haven't seen each other in a while. I'm just so glad that you had the time to come on the podcast. Yeah, no, I feel grateful for the opportunity, and we will definitely, now that we're fully vaccinated, have a proper catch-up. Yes. <laughs> <But> no, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I'm really appreciative of the opportunity. It's always it's always great to talk and especially, you know, one of my favorite topics. So. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. And for all of you out there, tune in. Remember, Planted is now twice a month. Um, so as we continue on with our day, um, just, you know, stay safe. It's a crazy world out there. So be good to each other and stay curious until next time. <laughs>